Welcome to the Atlantic Career Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Varnado, and this week's guest is Cooper Shattuck. I've known Cooper for almost 40 years, and I've always been fascinated by his quest for learning. He's excelled in many different roles in his career, including attorney, law professor, legal advisor to a governor, uh, university general counsel. He's an ordained minister. He's got a private legal practice, and he's also doing some consulting on the side as a, as a another full-time gig. So he's a uh, He's definitely a renaissance man. I've just been uh, fascinated by his story, and I hope you find this interesting as well. So, Cooper, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Paul. Glad to be here. Well, Cooper, I was just going through uh, our history, and, you know, it's been, I can't believe it's been 40 years since we uh, we first met now, I, Tech. I feel like I should know more since um, so much time has expired, <laughs> but um, things have changed a little bit since we were at Tech 40 years ago. Yes. You know, um, I've, you know, I've had two kids that have graduated there, and you remember how the good dorms, uh, there, were, there were good dorms and terrible dorms? Well, they flipped, because the, the dorms that were good when we were there are terrible now, and the ones that were terrible are now the best ones to live in. So it's, uh, it's definitely a, a change as well. But, uh, yeah. So, what so goes around comes around. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly. So uh, tell us a little about your background, Cooper. Where were you born and raised? Um, tell me about your family, school, and first job. So uh, I moved around a lot growing up. I was born in a small South Alabama town, and uh, we hit different other small towns in, in Alabama. My father worked for a textile manufacturer. That shows you how long ago it was, back before all those sewing plants went offshore uh, they filled the Southeast, and um, there were a lot of folks like my father who were plant managers that just went from plant to plant at these different sewing plants, and that's what we did. And So we moved around a good bit and then ended up in Arkansas, again, in textile manufacturing, and then in Massachusetts, uh, really with the remnants of textile manufacturing, but still there, and back to Tennessee, and then I went to college in Georgia. My parents moved to you know, Georgia Tech. My parents moved to Connecticut. And then my dad started his own business back in Alabama, where our roots were. Um, and so I went, after finishing Tech, went to law school at Alabama, again, because I wanted to plant somewhere after being on that train for yeah. so long. Um, and then my dad's business went, belly up after my first year of law school and uh, so he struggled to get a foothold after that which was a little unnerving when I was in law school but um, we plowed through and uh, I went to work practicing law here in Tuscaloosa where um, where I graduated from law school and um, so my first you know real job was as a lawyer for an old firm uh, in Tuscaloosa, which at that time was one of the larger ones uh, here. So I'm married, uh, have three uh, children, three girls. Uh, my youngest just started college. My oldest works in Dallas um, as a buyer for a audio, high-end audio um, uh, distributor. And my middle daughter's starting her last year of architecture school at Auburn. That's awesome. Three three children. They probably all got their own paths they want to head down. Um, 
so it's I'm sure as a dad I've got three as well and it's been interesting to kind of see how they've you know sorted through what they want to do and what they want to study and and um, their own experiences so that's great man oh yeah they're all very different and I remember after we had one child we talked about having another a few years later I'm like how how could how could another child be any different than this one? I mean, you know, it's just, and their world's different, and uh, all three. But they're great girls, all in their own way, and uh, uh, they all have a bright future ahead of them. Yes, yeah, I will agree to that. I've met them all, and they're, they're tremendous young people. So it's, it's great to watch them uh, journey on in their career. So that's awesome. Um, yeah, we talked before about kind of how we met um, at Georgia Tech. We were both in Navy ROTC, and, and I don't know about you, but um, I didn't dream of a military career. It was sort of a means to an end to pay for college. Um, did you feel like that was, um, was going to be, you know, where your destination was in the military, or were you just kind of just taking it year by year? Yeah, so um, I... I had wanted to be a pilot from the time I was probably 10 or 11 years old and went for my first airplane ride. Mm -hmm. And so I had really obsessed about it from that point forward. And I knew the best way uh, to fly the coolest planes and get the best training was the military. And so I had set my goals on a service academy originally because I didn't know anything about ROTC and then decide, you know, found out about ROTC scholarships and, and got uh, one of those and got accepted to tech. So I was on a mission to be an aerospace engineer and be a pilot and be a test pilot and, you know, maybe even an astronaut someday. Mm -hmm. And, um, <laughs> and then I got there and uh, it was just different than I had envisioned it. And I think I matured a little bit, you know, from the time I was 10, I guess, uh, yep. <laughs> from my perspective on life. And it's like, okay, well, I'm here. I'm not, I've now accomplished my goal. Uh, but, but is that really what I want to do? You yeah. know, and I think as you get older, you appreciate uh, risk more. And what I realized at 19 was, you know, what if my vision goes bad or what if what if I wash out of flight school or, you know, so I, I, I sort of started hedging my bets, right? So mm -hmm. I, I thought, well, I don't want to be, I, I don't want a career in the Navy, I don't think. I, I really just want to fly. And so do, do I have to do all this to fly? Well, no, I can fly without doing that. Well, you know, as an aerospace, do I really want to be an aerospace engineer if I wasn't a test? Not really, because you're pretty limited in what you can do as an aerospace engineer. You're an aerospace yeah. engineer. Right. And um, so I wanted more options. So I was so laser focused on a goal uh, that when I started to approach it, I, I sort of got scared. You know, I, wait a minute, I'm too focused. I need to have more options. And so I started broadening. Uh, my scope and you know frankly it's probably in the best interest of the free world that neither of us were in the navy <laughs> during the cold war but um you know it may not have it may not have resolved so well but uh yeah you know, uh, you know i was thinking about that um 
you talked about the Navy. You know, we started out with like, and you're better with numbers than I am, but like 90 mostly guys. I don't remember if we had a, a girl, female, in our class. I know there were some in the Navy ROTC detachment, but I don't remember if we had if we had one or two, maybe. Yeah, well, my squad leader was female. But yeah, I don't think anybody oh, anybody in our... Um, Trisha, tr um, I can't remember what her last name was. That's but who I remember. She was yes. Marine Corps option. Yes, she was. Yeah, I, I think her. she was a year or two older. Yes. Um, and But I don't think in our class we had a female. I think you're right. And so, so those 90 guys, by the time we graduated from college... Was there like 30-something that were commissioned, maybe? Maybe. Yeah, I think the washout was probably 65 to 70% for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for various reasons, too, right? I know that you, sure. you had to commit yeah. after your freshman year, and, you know, right. then it was four active and two reserve. And, you know, you mentioned the Cold War and, you know, middle of Reagan, and they were really pouring money into the military, and who knows what was going on. I know for me, because you mentioned the pilot, and I, I, I had that – that similar dream as well. Um, not, not necessarily um, starting the same as you, but I was, I was a big video game player in high school. And I thought, wow, if I can do this in, in front of a console, I can probably do this in a real plane, you know? And my vision was terrible and uh, just knew I was never going to be able to fly for the military. Um, and, and then you're right, you start thinking about, okay, will I be on a surface ship? Will I be on an aircraft carrier? Will I be in a submarine, like under the sea for six months? And I just, yeah, there wasn't a really... Um, an opportunity that looked like it was going to be the best fit for me. So you were, I think we we're both probably uh, definitely yeah. moved into different avenues, which was good for all of us. Yeah. yeah. And, and for me, I got interested in the idea of law school. And, um, and, and, you know, I made, looking back on my life, I've made so many decisions ill-informed, right? So mm -hmm. thinking I knew all the facts when I knew maybe 10%. So, uh, I went and talked to somebody about, you know, hey, can I go to law school? Can I stay in the Navy and go to law school? Like, well, sort of, maybe, you know, you've got to go on, you've got to finish college, you can't go straight to law school, you've got to go to the fleet in some capacity, so you've got to go to your specialization school, whether it's surface sub or flight, and then you've got to do a sea tour, and then you can apply to law school. And I'm like, Ugh, you know, <laughs> well, yeah. I know lots of people who went straight through college, got a waiver, went straight through law school, and became a lawyer in the military. Navy, Marine, Air Force, Army. Yeah. Nobody told me that was an option, right? And maybe it wasn't at that time, or it was certainly, um, it wasn't, wasn't something the, encouraged coming out of Georgia Tech. wasn't the you know, traditional They pushed path, us maybe. hard. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. right. They, they pushed us hard for nuclear power school because yes. of our calculus and physics and all that. And um, anyway, it, it yeah. worked out great. But, it did. Uh, yeah, not, the, I, not the path I sat down. <laughs> so, yeah, so you, um, you go to law school in Tuscaloosa, um, and obviously yep. you've had you know, roots in Alabama, made sense. And then coming out of law school, um, you had probably some options to stay in Alabama, stay in Tuscaloosa, or go elsewhere in the country. How did yeah. you, uh, how did you sort through where you wanted to go? Yeah. Um, good question. So in law school, when I finished my first year, uh, and I, I previously mentioned my father's business sort of bellied up. So 
so I needed a job for that summer, and they encourage you to work the summer after your first year of law school. Um, and so I got a job uh, here in town so that I could go to summer school and try to graduate earlier. I wanted to get, you know, get done so I could get out and start making money. And so I went to work for a firm and um, with, you know, just because a friend of mine recommend, she had worked there as a law clerk. So she'd said, hey, you know, I'll put in a good word for you kind of thing. So I go to work for this firm, uh, loved the people I worked with. They offered me a job. So I kept working for them through the second year of law school because I needed the money. And they made me a job offer during my second year of law school. Like, we'd like for you to stay, keep working here, and work here when you graduate. Well, it was like bird in the hand, two in the bush, right? I'm like, what mm -hmm. deal? So, you know, my second summer, I knew I was coming back to work there. So everything I worked on took on new meaning because it was real. You know, this was not pretend and it wasn't fluff. I was working on some case that would be tried maybe the year I graduated or whatever. Yeah. So uh, I found that really exciting and interesting. And, um, and it was a benefit to them, you know, because I, I was getting training much earlier. I was doing the kind of things that graduates would do, right? Just because I was there and everybody knew we can bank on it. We can depend on it. So it really put me ahead in my career. I, I was able to do some things before I even graduated that a lot of my peers didn't do till after they graduated. And um, so that's sort of how I ended up there. And I was there for, oh gosh, seven years or so, seven or eight years um, before I went to the second firm where I worked. So it, it was it was great experience that, in a way fell in my lap, I guess, but it was also a product of, um, a good fit, you know? Yeah. Well, I, what I've noticed about you is that you, um, you, you tend to make your own opportunities as well. I think you prepare well for life. Um, you listen, you're an active learner. And I think that's a good trait to have just in general is that, you know, be prepared for things when they come up, you know, do the work that you mm. can do control the things you can do, but also, you know, keep an eye open and see, you know, constantly evaluate sort of what am I doing? Uh, do I like what I'm doing? Am I making a difference? Is it, you know, achieving the goals I've set out to do? Um, and if it's not, then mm -hmm. start looking at something else. And, you know, chances are you start networking around and things can open up for you. And I think that's, you mm -hmm. know, just kind of, as I mentioned earlier, some of the things that you were doing with, you know, the the legal advisor and, and law professor and, um, you know, again, going back to the University of Alabama and actually working for them for a few years, you know, I mean, I think all of those sort of just like um, lined up for you, but I'd, I would love to hear your perspective mm -hmm. on how you transition into what you're doing now. Yeah. So, um, you know, I c you're exactly right. And I, I have people that I talk to all the time that, are frustrated with their career or career path or whatnot, and they say, oh, I just don't have any opportunities. Well, they do have opportunities. They just don't see the opportunities. And mm -hmm. um, it took me a while, you know, to see them, but they, they happen all the time to everybody. And some people don't see them or don't want to see them 
or they're afraid to Fear. pull the yeah, trigger. That's a, and, yeah. yeah. And um, I, I, the one thing I've learned is to not look back because you can't undo or redo a decision. You can fix a mistake, but you yeah. can't go back and redo or, 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 or well, what if I had gone down this path? Well, yeah. you can spend your whole life second guessing your decisions, but it's going to do you absolutely no good. So you, whatever decision you make, you're all in and you go forward with it. So, you know, most of my opportunities up until a few years ago, um, they did just present themselves. And um, so, so I said I started with my first law firm and I ended up going to another firm. Well, how did that happen? So I was at lunch uh, during a continuing education seminar with a partner from this other firm whom I knew from cases we had worked on together. And they had just lost uh, one of their litigation partners. And we were talking about that. And um, I said, well, you know, what are y'all going to do? And I, I had no intention of, I wasn't, you know, plowing through that field looking to go anywhere else. And she said, you know, I don't know. You should come over. Ha, 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 and laughed. Wouldn't that be funny? And it just, you know, struck me. And I said, well, stranger things have happened. Yeah. Well, that planted the seed. She goes back to her partners next to, you know, they're calling saying, well, why don't you come over? And I was like, well, I don't know. What does that look like? Why? You know, yeah. and we explored it. It looked like a great opportunity. So I did. It was, it was a good move for me. It was a good move for them. I ended up bringing a few months later, uh, a more junior partner from my old firm to my new firm. And together we grew that new firm from 12 people to 30 something. And it was just a right time, right place for all of us. And it yeah. worked out well. Um, going to work for the governor. So many people think that's a political thing. Oh, you were involved in politics and raised money and all that. I didn't have anything to do with that. I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't contribute one dime to him. I'd never met him. Um, but I was working with, uh, who would become his chief of staff as they were trying to find a legal advisor. So I was helping him sort through folks and, identify people that might be good candidates and whatnot. And we went through a number of people and none of them really meshed. And, um, one day he said, well, why don't you do it? And I'm like me, I don't have any, I don't want to do that. I've, I've got a great career at this firm. You know, I'm, I'm in a good place. Why would I do that? Yeah. And he said, well, why would I, and he was leaving the bench. He was a judge. He said, well, would I leave? Why would I give up judicial retirement to do it? This is a great opportunity. It'd be fun. <laughs> okay, so I talked to the governor. We just sort of, you know, clicked, and next thing you know, we're driving to Montgomery um, to, you know, run the state or whatever. So I, I mean, it just it just happened, and yeah. um, you just you jump on. It was a wild ride for two years, and uh, then the university general counsel job came open. Um, I wanted to get back to Tuscaloosa. That was just sort of a nightmare going back and forth to Montgomery. And so, you know, I applied and, um, got that job. So, I mean, you know, just, yeah, things just happen sometimes, yep. but you know, this latest thing 
and I left the university, great job, you know, sort of a pinnacle kind of career position. The governor was still in office, and he said, you know, I really need you back. And I said, I'm not coming back into that political firestorm for the peanuts I was getting paid. But, you know, if I were to go back in private practice, if you wanted to contract with me or the state to do some work, I will. Oh, mm -hmm. absolutely. So what a great position. So I, I leave the university, start a law firm, and it's going gangbusters. I've got more work than I can do for the state um, because of my relationship with the governor. Yeah. But then he gets in trouble. He ends up resigning, and all that work disappears overnight because yeah. the new governor says, you know, great work, but it just doesn't look good for you to keep doing it. You're out. Yeah. So I literally had not one client and no other work overnight. And that was scary. <laughs> so that wasn't yeah. an opportunity. Yeah. It was, you know, sort of a wake up call. And that's when I started the, the marketing company, the consulting company, focusing on marketing for lawyers because I, I had to market myself. And that's what I did, and and then realized that the young lady that was working with me that helped me, she had an interest in it. So we started this business, and it's really blossomed since, and it's been a lot of fun. Um, but it's not something I'd set out to do. But it was yeah. a, created by necessity, really. Yeah, and sometimes that's that's where things, you know, just come together for you is, you know, your back's against the wall or some external yep. situation happens and then you just make the best of it. And again, you know, you can get locked down in fear or you can just walk through that wall of fire and just see what it is. So what do you, right. so what do you like Absolutely. most about your job? Cause it is different than some of the other ones you've done, but it's building on your oh, experiences yeah. as well. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't do it without the experience that I've had in the past. So, you know, our niche is, um, I mean, we're a, full, we're a full service marketing firm, but our niche is lawyers, right? And so when I go meet with a lawyer or law firm about marketing their practice or their firm, I've automatically got a leg up on all the other marketing people because they're just marketing people, right? Because yeah. I'm leveraging my experience and knowledge. So I speak the same language and I understand their needs. And I also understand their frustration with even having to do marketing. And so they feel comfortable. This is what they've told me anyway. I trust you to understand what I need, what I need to do. And you've also done it yourself. So yes, help me do it. Um, so that, that's just, I mean, it'd be, I'd be foolish to try to do marketing about something I didn't know. Right. Right. So um, I think it's sort of, it's, you can make it a bigger picture issue, you know, like um, playing to your strengths. Everybody's got strengths. You sort of have to do an inventory of what are your strengths. Your strengths could be your experience or your knowledge. How do I leverage that? Mm -hmm. um, and if you do leverage your strengths, you're going to find something that you enjoy doing. And I love doing that. I like the creativity. I like the writing. I like the... Um, the helping of the profession, the working with other lawyers. Uh, but what I really like is the freedom. You know, I have a lot of autonomy 
it's just me and my law firm. I can do what I want to do. You know, people call and ask me to help them with something. If it's not something I'm interested in, I don't do it. Right. And if it sounds like something that's fun, I do it. You know, I, I don't, I'm not accountable to anybody but myself. And then with the marketing practice, you know, again, I can do what I want to do. And, um, and Erin, who started it with me, she's fantastic, very creative, very talented. Um, but she's also, she self-manages, she's self-motivated, she does her thing, I do my thing, and together um, we have a lot of fun. That's awesome. I, so I love it. I, yeah. I really love it. Um, that, that's good. You know, I when think I that's... first went to law go ahead. No, go, go ahead, Coop. Well, I was just going to say, when I first went to law school, originally, the idea was I, I was curious about the law, but I really wanted to be a management consultant. That's what I wanted to do. You may remember us talking about that in yes. college. I had this yes. link that that would be fun. But I knew nothing about it. I, you know, Everything I read basically said, you get an MBA or you go to industry for a while and then do it. And I was like, I don't want to do that. You know, I'm curious about the law. So yeah. I thought, in my mind again, misinformed, that a law degree would help me in that way. Well, it didn't at all, and I ended up getting a job. Anyway, different world. But yeah. fast forward 30 years, and now I'm doing what I really wanted to do in college in a niche. I'm basically management consulting for lawyers and law firms. And um, so I, I couldn't be happier. You know, I couldn't have created the path to get here because it was almost reactionary or seeking opportunities, but it worked out great for what I'm doing. That's really interesting um, because I do remember you talking about being in consulting or wanting to get there. And you're right. There was a cookie cutter path to get your MBA. You work for, you know, at the time was probably big eight. Now it's big four. And, you know, you, um, you grind mm -hmm. it out working with different industries and you may go down a vertical or you might spend, time going into different ones and then you know where that, mm -hmm. that plays out but that makes a lot of sense why you're really happy and enjoying what you're doing now is because you've got you know some of the things that you have always been interested in but now you've got experience in in a certain field that you can then leverage that and and help you know your clients and your customers um and, and kind of give back so that's um that's a nice that's a nice way to sort of wrap things up around, you know, your career experience and then what you're doing now. You also yeah. mentioned earlier, you and I had talked about leveraging your strengths. And I think this is something that wasn't always um, obvious, especially in companies that I had worked for where, you know, you, what's your strengths, what's your weaknesses. And, you know, it always, it always seemed to focus, you know, from an HR perspective or your annual review around your weaknesses, you know, work on those, get mm -hmm. those better. And what you're doing is, you know, you're atrophying a muscle because you're, you're mm -hmm. trying to figure out, you know, if you can bench press a lot, but you can't do a lot of squats um, and you focus on squats. Now your bench is not really, you know, doing, you know, as, as much as you could. And so that um, I think that's a, that's a nice twist on how you can kind of get better and do things that you enjoy is really focus on your strengths because that's what makes everybody unique. You know, if you're weak in certain mm -hmm. areas, um, you may never be very good at that, and you certainly will be, you know, probably miserable trying to get better at it rather than focusing on the strengths. So that's something that absolutely I've, it was an eye opener for me when we first um, 
took that strength finder test, you know, 15 years ago or 10 years ago, whenever it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, mm-hmm. I, just, I think it's fascinating. I think everybody should understand where their strengths are and think about what their, what their journey looks like and leveraging those strengths and building upon those. Absolutely. And if you get to a position where you're creating a team, you know, you don't want to find people that had the same strengths that you have. So you, you need to know what your strengths are, right? But you also need to know where you're weak. And those are the people you want on your team, people mm-hmm. whose strengths are your weakness. Because then together, you know, they can do the things you're not good at right. and, because they like doing them. And together you can do a lot more. So, um, you know, Erin's strengths I know and her weaknesses I know, even before that when I was at the law firm and I was building teams, um, you know, I had partners that I worked on cases with whose strengths were much different than mine because together we could do so much more, so more, much more effectively mm-hmm. than either of us could individually. And I, that, when I figured that out, it was like a light bulb went off, you know, it's like, aha, yeah, this really works. Yeah, it does. That's, that's, uh. That's a that's a good real world example of you know you're 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 putting a puzzle together right and certain pieces fit different yeah. ways and if every piece looks the same you're not going to have a very good overall puzzle that you've put together so that's right so 2020 been a been a crazy year for all of us um, how has COVID changed your world or what you're doing it's it's changed everybody's but I'm curious to hear in the world of law and what you're doing with your marketing um, what's changed about that industry. Well, um, it's, it's, I, I think we'll, we're yet to see the total impact. I mean, uh, courts basically shut down and have been shut down, um, and that affects a lot of lawyers, but not all. But anytime there's a change in the economy, either the economy gets better or the economy gets worse, it creates legal opportunities. So when things are going great, people who work in, mergers and acquisitions and creating new companies and all that kind of stuff, they do great. When things go, when things go bad in the economy, the people who do trouble loan workouts and bankruptcies and handling, you know, debt or security interests, whatever, their business goes up. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's always opportunity from a legal standpoint, but it's very diverse and people have gotten so specialized that uh, a firm that's balanced, you know, the mergers and acquisition guys aren't going to be busy when things are bad, but their bankruptcy and creditors' rights practice will be. So it all, you know, sort of balances out. Um, for for our little firm, for our work, uh, things have been great because it really um, helped us transition to an at-home work environment which we were thinking about doing anyway. Mm. So I gave up my office lease in January with the thought of um, leasing some space to use when I needed to to meet with people. Erin moved to Huntsville because her husband got a job up there. I'm like, you know, we can work from home. We can do this from home. Well, come March, we didn't have a choice but to do it from home. And it's worked great. So it sort of helped us, honestly. Um, from a marketing standpoint for the legal world, you know, there's two types of 
of lawyers, and, and this was true before the pandemic, but it's really brought brought it to light now. There are the, the practice of law has changed tremendously in the last five or ten years, and it's very competitive, um, and it's very challenging. And those who have adapted have done well. And those who keep waiting for the world to go back to how it used to be have not done well. Mm-hmm. As a result of the pandemic, that's just been, been it's exponentially. It's magnified, uh, hasn't it? Yeah. A- absolutely. And, and so those people who are willing to change and want to change and want to start doing, realize they need to do marketing and to start doing it, um, that's great for us. And that's our clients. Those who've sort of buried their head in the sand thinking, well, you know, things will go back the way they were at some point and I'll have all the work I did two years ago. They're not going to have all the work they had two years ago. They just don't know it and yeah. they won't admit it and won't acknowledge it. So, uh, and I see both, you know, um, I think the fresh, the, the people that are thinking ahead, you know, I, the economy's going to get worse or it's going to have long standing impacts and therefore my business is going to be challenged. Um, I need to start planning ahead. And, uh, the, for example, I talked to somebody the other day who has a, a bankruptcy practice in another state, actually in a number of states. And he said, you know, I know things are likely to boom and I'm busy now, but I want to be busier and I want to be ready for it. So I need to get my name out there. People need to know what I do. And I'm like, you are so right. And he's going to do well, whether Mm -hmm. he hires us or somebody else. He's going to do well because he's posturing Mm -hmm. for that opportunity. He's got the right Um, mindset. The people, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The people that are in mergers and acquisitions going, well, you know, I just hope maybe. No, they need to be thinking about how to broaden their practice and then let people know what they do. So it's really... um, We've had some clients that had existed pre-pandemic that are not of the mindset. You know, they sort of barely gotten on the whole marketing boat, and they're sort of on the bubble. They'll either, you know, stay with it or not. Uh, Those that stay with it, I think, will do well, and those that don't, you know, there's others wanting to take their place. Um, So it's been interesting. Yeah, Yeah, it's a revolution of sorts. it but, is. Uh, is, is. You're right. It's it's forcing everybody to sort of take stock of where they are and figure mm-hmm. out are we are we ready to change and embrace that or do we feel like this is going to pass and we'll go back to the old the old way. I, I can't imagine the world of corporate real estate or commercial real estate right now um, and what they're All trying right. to do to adjust to that. Because to your point, you know, everyone's sort of rethinking. You know, what is our what does our um, office space look like? And do we keep this remote? Um, do we downsize whatever? So it's, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out beyond this year for sure. Yeah. What's really fascinating, Paul is um, in visiting law firms around the state before the pandemic, things were already changing. You know, firms have invested in expensive offices and high rent areas uh, to wow and impress clients. But even before the pandemic, clients didn't want to go to those offices anymore, and they didn't. Hmm. And the lawyers didn't want to go to those offices, and so they were not. And 
with technology and your ability to do the work that we do from anywhere, a lot of people started, you know, working from home. First mm-hmm. on Fridays, then maybe an occasional other afternoon, and then maybe for a week at a time, you know, and when they realized they could be just as productive at the beach as they could in the office, <laughs> they chose to work at the beach. Yeah. And so firms were that that were thinking ahead were like, you know, I don't know that we're gonna need this same real estate footprint in the future. Well then bang, the pandemic made it so Mm-hmm. And um, I, to your point, I think it's going to revolutionize the way lawyers and law firms function. Um, and it's not a bad thing. It's bad for the people trying to rent the real estate. But mm-hmm. for the lawyers and the quality of life, it's probably not a bad thing at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, the, the legal profession is just one of many that I think they're going to you know, be transformed mm. by all this too. So it is, it is fascinating that you wouldn't think that, um, you know, the law industry um, or profession would, um, you know, adjust quickly to that. Cause you're right. You know, these law firms are all, you know, massive and you really, you're talking about, you know, highly confidential or, um, you know, really uh, just sensitive areas, depending on the type of law that you're working on. And you think what well, you need to do that in person, or you need to really kind of focus on that in some area that's not, you know, in your, your dining room or something else. But I think to your point where, mm-hmm. you know, the lawyers were potentially ready for that and the customers were willing to accept that as yep. well, you know? Yep. So, uh, yeah, yep. it is, it is fascinating. Yeah. I think the the law firm will look different, the space, the building, the offices, you know, you still need a space to meet with a client every now and then in situations where you can't meet with them at mm-hmm. their own office or whatnot. You need, Work rooms, team rooms, um, where you can get together. That interaction is important, and I think finding ways to stay connected uh, because that's how you learn as a lawyer is working with another lawyer. And mm-hmm. um, if you if we don't have that opportunity, uh, the younger lawyers, and, and even again before the pandemic, they weren't getting the same opportunities that they had had years ago uh, because clients aren't going to pay for that. Right, they're not going to pay for some young lawyer to shadow an older lawyer, whereas years ago they effectively did. Yeah, yeah, and I think every industry is going to be, you know, working through that as well. I know I've been in the software mm-hmm. industry for a long time, and you know, was what we do with an agile development is you have, you know, co-located teams, and you're all right in the same room. You've got you know post-its all over your walls, and you're managing things quickly. And you know, now we're you know utilizing online tools and really the same, you know, concept as you would in, in the room. And, and when we started doing the offshore model, you had to adjust to that anyway, because not everybody was in the same room or even the same time zone. Right. So there's a, right. lot of, right. a lot of tools that have kind of rolled out now that allow you to do that kind of collaboration, you know, whether it's video or audio or whiteboarding sessions or other things. And so it's, it's really going to continue to, to power through, especially as younger people are coming out of college, you know, with, these digital native, you know, perspectives of, you know, of course you can do all this stuff online. You don't necessarily need to be in person. And, you know, if I want to be mm-hmm. in a cabin in the woods and connect to somebody who's halfway around the world and build something or talk through a legal issue, we should be able to do that, you know? So it's pretty fascinating. That's right. Yeah, it is. It's sort of exciting. Uh, I mean, you know, I hate all the hurt that's come as a result of the pandemic, but to, for something that impactful, 
to have such a big um, effect on the way we work and live and to live through that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, again, not silver lining, but just to say it's, it's in a way exciting to be a part of that, to, to live through that. Um, yeah, it's scary and yes, things will be different, but it will create opportunities. There will be opportunities that never existed before and we'll be fine. We'll yep. get through it. Yep. It, it always does, right? Necessity yep. is a mother of invention, as they say. So it's, uh, it absolutely is. We're living through it. Well, one more question for you, Cooper, and I'll let you go. Um, so yes, what advice would you give to a younger you? Um, seeing what you've seen, what you've gone through, um, you know, what would you kind of rethink while you're in school or when you come out and start a job or even work-life balance? What do you, what do you reflect on? Wow. Well, I think um, we've touched on this a little bit, but even though I wouldn't change anything about, you know, my life and my experiences, even though they weren't all good, I've, I've learned from all of them and in a way they've all made me who I am today. And and I'm, I'm happy with that. Uh, I, I think I, I was a little too, I'd be a little less concerned about, or a little less afraid of um, pursuing dreams and goals. Um, I I think there's a balance between being inflexible and uh, trying to have too many opportunities. And I I think... um, having a goal and reaching it and uh, pursuing it, even though the chances may be small, um, is not something you should worry about and give up on. Because what I've learned is even if you don't make it as you've envisioned it, there will be other opportunities. You don't have to make the opportunities for yourself. There will be opportunities. And I think I was too afraid that there wouldn't be opportunities. Mm -hmm. And what I've learned in hindsight is that there are. So um, I'd say that from a college, you know, kind of standpoint. Um, I I think I would tell myself and looking back, you know, I, I was a little too focused on work. I did not have a good work-life balance for the early stages of my career. And, um, you know, and, and that caused a lot of issues in my life. And uh, I figured it out eventually. But if I figured it out earlier, I think it would have, you know, saved a lot of pain for a lot of different people. Because work was everything. Work defined me. And mm-hmm. um, I, I think younger people today, and not to overgeneralize, but they've seen you know, our generation be too obsessed or focused on work to the detriment of other things in their life. So, so you lose the perspective of why are you working anyway? Right. And I was working for more than just, you know, to make a living and provide for my family. I was working to, you know, satisfy other needs in my life, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, that, that I didn't need to turn to work to do. And, um, it took me a while to figure that out. So I think, having a good work-life balance is important and being mindful of it is important. 
Uh, it doesn't mean you don't have to work hard. It doesn't mean that you don't have to make sacrifices. But um, I could have eased up a little bit and been fine. That's a really good point because I think when you're younger, you don't have, you know, you just don't have that perspective. And I think we also were in mm-hmm. a different generation, and you know, the mm-hmm. the the workaholics were generally recognized and and sometimes even rewarded. So. You know, you, you sort oh, of yeah. aspire to be like that. Okay, well, if I got to put in 14-hour days, and this is before you could actually take your laptop home and work. I mean, you were in an office or you were on the road. Yeah. And, you know, so you That's were right. completely separated from any sort of personal situation, whether it was marriage or kids or other family. So, yeah, it was um, it was a different, different world for sure. Um, I think that, mm-hmm. you know, we were, we were talking about, you know, working from home and all that. There's There's a challenge of, defining that line i think we've all had to kind of go through that for those that are now working from home full time it's you're trying to figure out do i work at home or do i live at work now and so it's you got to really figure (laughs) out where that line is you know absolutely absolutely put some boundaries around it and i think that's um that's up to each of us to sort of really figure that out but um well, Cooper, man, thanks so much for your time today. I think this is a uh, really valuable lessons. It. Yeah, um, always good to catch up with you. You're always a fascinating individual, and I appreciate the time to to kind of talk to the audience today and and go through your career. I think this is a great thing that you're doing, and um, I, I wish I had had the benefit of it when I was younger. You and me both. I think just having building that network out is so important. Um, I know I, and I learned this at Tech my freshman year. I just thought, well, I just need to lock myself in the library more and get, you know, studying and, and my grades will improve. And really that was, that was a futile effort. I should have been, you know, talking to others and asking for help and doing things. And it took me a year of really struggling to sort of figure that out and works no different than school. Mm-hmm. So I think if you can, you know, right. stand on the shoulders of others and really learn from others. And, you know, as, as a mentor, you know, offering up that and really paying, you know, things back to a younger generation, I think we're all better off for that. So, so thanks for your kind Absolutely. words as well. All right, Cooper. No, well, listen, it's you. been great. Um, always good catching up. And uh, we may have to do this again sometime soon. Sounds great. Thanks, Paul. All right. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.